It is good to be together and to worship our Lord and to worship Him through opening His Word together. Uh, let me invite you, if you have a copy of God's Word, to turn with me to the book of 2 Corinthians. Uh, we'll be in chapter 8, verses 1 through 15. So 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 15. What a joyous morning it's been to celebrate baptism. Uh, just such a blessing to see uh, these uh, boys confessing publicly their faith in Jesus. Uh, what a joy. So thank you for joining us for that. Let me say uh, thank you to everyone who did the work to make it happen so we could have uh, our services down here as opposed to over uh, in our normal room. Thank you to those who uh, got chairs set up, who got the baptistry filled and warmed for our sound guys and video, getting everything kind of shifted down here so that we could have this time of worship together in a different room than we're normally in. That uh, This didn't happen by magic. Uh, we unfortunately don't have church house fairies that come and do all this for us. So thank you to those who took, uh, took the time this week to help make all of this happen. You are uh, a blessing. Let me also just say a special word of welcome uh, to Chuck Turner and his wife Deb. Uh, Chuck is our uh, director of missions for our local association here. Uh, so Chuck, thank you uh, for joining us for this time of worship today. Uh, welcome both of you. Uh, Chuck and Deb, thanks for joining us today. So today we are in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 15, continuing on in our study on generosity, open hands. And today we will look at this great theme of riches in Christ. So Paul writes this to the church in Corinth. Chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that, as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, and speech, and knowledge, and all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is genuine also. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their needs so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness, as it is written. Whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Let's pray. 
Our Father, we thank you for today, and we thank you for the privilege that it is to gather together and to open up your word. Father, we thank you for the joy that it is to worship Christ together. Father, we thank you for the celebration of new life that we have gone through together this morning as we have celebrated believers' baptism together. Father, I pray that as we open your word, that you would open our hearts, that we would see the great sacrifice of Christ and see the great riches of glory that he offers to each of us when we place our faith in him. So, Father, would you do what it is that you love to do this morning? Would you open the eyes of our hearts that we may see wonderful things through your word? By your spirit, would you work into our hearts so that for those who know you here today, they may, they may be conformed more into the image of Christ. Father, for those who may not know Jesus as Savior, by your spirit, would you apply your word to their hearts? Would you bring new life into them? May they today come to salvation and putting their trust in Jesus as their Savior. So, Father, we love you, and we pray that in this time you would meet us here so that as we go out, we will be changed as a result of being together in your word. We love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know about you, if you've ever noticed that there are certain tasks in life that if you have to do them are just a drag. But if you get to do them on your own choosing, can be quite enjoyable. Now, for those of you who know me or have ever been in my office, what I'm about to say is going to surprise you. In college, I hated reading. Yeah, true story. Uh, my office is lined with books. Uh, I spend a lot of time reading now. But in college, I hated it. The reason was is because it was assigned. And the books that I had to read, I hated reading. And so I found when I sat down to read, two things would happen. Either I would just dread it, and it would be an awful 20 minutes of trying to keep my eyes open, and then a glorious hour and a half of napping. And if I wasn't dreading it, I was simply ignoring it, because I found with some of my classes, now this is bad academics, kids, I could not do the reading and still do okay in my grades. The problem is I didn't learn what I was supposed to. So do your homework, do your reading, that's the point of that, okay? Sometimes we have to do what we don't like in school. Um, that's not the point of the sermon, that's bonus for all you kids, because um, I want my kids to hear that too. Um, <laughs> off track, man, sorry. The fact is, when I was doing reading for classes, I hated it. I dreaded it. I would ignore it. But then I discovered an author named John Stott. He was a pastor and a theologian in England. And all of a sudden, I found something that I loved to read. And reading became a great joy to me, that any time I could get a free time, I would have a theology book in my hand. And any time I could have a Christmas present or birthday present to get a new book, because I was a college student and I couldn't afford any, I would read because it became a delight to me. And since it was a delight, I wanted to do it. You see, when my motivation changed, my desires changed. And the reality is, when it comes to this topic of generosity that we've been talking about for four weeks together, the very same thing can happen. If our motivation is wrong, if we view generosity as something that we are coerced into or that God is twisting our arm to do, we'll find it either a drudgery or we will simply find it easy to ignore. Yet when we get the why of generosity correct, the act of generosity easily flows from it. In fact, joyfully flows from it. So today and next week, we'll be in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. And these two 
chapters form a, a unit together. On the one hand, what we'll see today is 2 Corinthians chapter 8 speaks to the gospel motivation of generosity. It's the why behind our giving. Next week, we'll see in 2 Corinthians 9 that that passage speaks to the gospel action of giving. It actually gets to the nuts and bolts and the nitty-gritty of how we are to be generous, how we ought to practice giving. But today we look at this gospel motivation, where Paul addresses the why behind our generosity. And so today as we consider this passage and see the reason why we should give, what we'll see is that generosity is a grace from God, that it's fueled by the grace of Jesus, and that generosity brings us lasting spiritual benefit. So the first thing we see in verses 1 through 8 is the gift of generosity. In other words, we could put that in terms of motivation. We are motivated to give because of grace. So Paul begins here, We want you to know, brothers, speaking to the church there at Corinth, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. So, so watch the language that he uses. He's going to talk about grace here in verse 1. And then... In verse 4, he's going to say that they begged earnestly for the favor, that's the same word for the grace, of taking part in release of the saints. And then he's going to, in verse 7, say, hey, you should excel in this grace of generosity also. So over and over and over again, Paul is pointing to the fact that generosity our sacrificial and joyous giving of our time, treasure, and talents for the glory of God and the good of others. All right, that's how we've been defining generosity. It's that sacrificial, joyful giving of our time, our talent, and our treasures for the glory of God and the good of others. That is motivated by grace. In fact, that is a gift of God that we get to do. You see, what's going on here in the life of the church in Corinth is Paul, as he was carrying out his missionary work and traveling all over the Gentile world, was taking up a collection for the church in Jerusalem. See, the church in Jerusalem had suffered severe persecution. The church in Jerusalem found itself in great poverty, and there was also a famine going on in Jerusalem. And so Paul would go around to the churches, and he would say, hey, as part of your giving, I would like you to give to the church in Jerusalem so that they can benefit from your faith. And so he's taking this collection. And so in writing to the Corinthians, he notes on the one hand, at some point, about a year earlier, they began to give to this. They, they started, they had this desire to give to the collection. But for some reason, they had fallen off. And so to help motivate him, he points to the Macedonians. So that would be the churches in the city of Thessalonica, Berea, and Philippi. But one of the things about those churches is they were actually poor, and the believers there were suffering persecution. If you think back to the book of Acts, Paul had to flee from Thessalonica because the, the people there, there was a mob that formed that wanted to, to kill him. And the believers there told him at night, get out. So he goes to Berea, things go well. He goes to Philippi, what happens? He gets arrested and beaten and thrown in jail in Philippi. So these are places where the church was experiencing persecution. But notice what happens. Look at verse 2. This doesn't make sense to our ears unless we listen with the ears of faith. Paul says in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and extreme poverty, what did they do? They grumbled and saved up until another day. 
No, no, no. Look, they overflowed in a wealth of generosity on our part. There was joy and affliction, and there was wealth of generosity and material poverty. Why? Because their hearts had been captivated by the grace of God. That's what he says in verse 1. It was the grace of God that had worked among them, so much so that they begged to be a part of this giving. Paul apparently wasn't expecting these churches to give to that relief offering, yet they came to him and they begged for the privilege, for the favor, for the grace of joining in the fellowship of the saints by giving to that. Now what's fascinating here is Paul never points out how much they gave. Right? He doesn't come and say to them, hey guys, they gave one million dollars, can't you match that? It's not what, they, what he says. Because Paul was not concerned about the amount that these churches gave. The amount was insignificant. Their desire and sacrifice was Paul's focus. So what we see here, by looking at this example of the Macedonian believers, is that true generosity flows from a heart that is committed to God. This is what Paul says in verse 5. Notice that there is a, a pathway to generosity. In verse 5, he says this, And so this, they're giving to the relief of the saints. This was not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then to us by the will of God. And then they gave. You, you see the, the pathway that flows there? Generosity that is true generosity, that will be sustained through hardship, that will be joyful no matter what, flows from a heart that is captured by God. So the, 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 the flow is this. They committed to God, committed to God's people. That's what Paul says when he says they committed themselves to us. So in being committed to God, they identified themselves and committed themselves to the people of God. And so then they proved that commitment to God and his people through this act of generosity. That's what's going on in verse 6 and 7 and 8. He says, look, that they gave. And he says to the Corinthians, look, that your giving, your generosity will prove your faith, your speech, your knowledge, your earnestness, and your love. That, that generosity is an outward proof of all of those other graces in their hearts. Right? It's in, in some ways, like baptism is a symbol of the salvation worked in our hearts, generosity is the symbol of faith, hope, and love in our hearts. It's an outward expression of a heart that is inwardly captivated by Christ. In other words, what Paul's saying here is generosity is one of those rubber-meets-the-road moments. He says, you guys want to prove that you truly love the Lord? You guys want to prove that you truly love us? Well, be generous. It's kind of like if you're always going around bragging to everyone about what a great cook you are and, and how good a food you make, but then you never like make a meal or a snack for your life group and you never bring anything to the, to the pass the plate uh, potluck at the church affairs conference and you never invite anybody over for a meal. We're all going to start doubting that you're really that good of a cook. You're a good cook. Prove it. Bring a plate to pass on March 22nd. It's, it's like saying, oh, I am a gracious and forgiving person. In fact, I'm maybe the most gracious and forgiving person I know. Yet when it comes time to actually extend grace and forgiveness to that friend who's offended you, to that person who's hurt you, you withhold it. And you say, uh, I don't want to do that. And when you see him coming, you turn the other way. 
Generosity is a rubber meets the road moment. It's a, it's a place where it proves that our heads have caught the knowledge of Christ, that our hearts have been transformed by the knowledge of Christ, so our hands actually live like Christ. You see, generosity is a gift of grace. See, God gives us grace so that we can give. Giving is a very act of grace. And God gives us the desire to give. He gives us the strength to follow through with it. And as we give, we experience him more and more. That's how generosity is all of grace. God gives us the desire. God gives us the strength. And God gives us himself as we give. And and, and so far from drudgery, what Paul is getting at here in these verses is that generosity is not a drudgery, but it is a gift that conforms us to the image of Christ. Right? It would be like if, if you go to Lake Michigan on a trip and the sun is setting. And have you ever tried to take a picture of a sunset with your phone? It always turns out horribly, right? And you post it, it looked way better in real life, right? So if you're there at Lake Michigan watching a beautiful sunset and, and the people you're there with say, put your phone away. It's not a drudgery. It's not because they want something worse for you. It's because they want you to experience the glory of the moment with your real eyes. In the same way, giving is not a drudgery, but it is a gift from God that conforms us to be more like Christ. Because when we gladly give and we sacrifice, we are living like Jesus. And this is what Paul shows us in verse 9. And so in verse 9, Paul shows us the fuel of generosity. And he shows us the fuel of generosity, the motivation here behind it, the why we give, is because when we give, we are living like Christ. And so, so verse 9 is really the, the focus verse of this whole chapter. It's really the hinge verse of chapters 8 and 9. It's really one of the verses that if we want to learn about generosity, that everything hangs on. And so here's what I want us to notice about this verse. So Paul does point out the faithful example of the Macedonian believers to motivate the Corinthians. But when he really wants to motivate them, look at what he does. In fact, look at what he doesn't do. So he doesn't strong-arm them in a command. He doesn't browbeat them. He doesn't guilt them. He doesn't set amounts and percentages. He doesn't give them an external marker to practice generosity by. But he motivates them through the gospel. Paul motivates generosity by pointing to the most generous, gracious act in all of history. By pointing to Jesus Christ. Now look at verse 9. Paul says, for you know. Why do they know it? Because Paul had been there. Paul had preached it. This gets to the core of what we believe. It's the core of what Paul preached. It's the core of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And what is it that we know? What is the knowledge that should motivate us to live with open hands? For you know the grace. Oh, there's that word again. Well, well, watch what it doesn't say. For you know the expectation that if you miss, wrath is coming. Mm Mm-mm. For, for you know the percentage you're to hit. Mm-mm. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sake, in your place, for your benefit, he became poor. Why? So that 
by his poverty you might become rich. That is the fuel of generosity. It is the generous, loving, self-giving sacrifice of Jesus that fuels our generosity. And it fuels our generosity not only by looking at the example, but it empowers it. Because there, in Christ, in his sacrifice for us, we find true riches. Let's just, let's just walk through this verse together. So Paul says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, that, that there looks back to eternity past, to Christ's pre-existence before his incarnation as the eternal Son of God. It's a, in Greek, it's a present participle, meaning it speaks to his existent state. You could simply say, Christ being rich, existing in the state of richness. This is similar to what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2 when he said Jesus though he was in the image of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped to Christ was eternally rich dwelling in heaven dwelling in splendor and glory that is unapproachable dwelling that daily he had around him heavenly beings crying out holy 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 the whole earth is filled with his glory he dwelled in power and greatness that at a word he could speak and universes explode into being. He dwelt in the perfection of heaven, removed from sin. He dwelt where the heavenly beings at his word act and do. He was rich. He dwelt in endless honor and praise and glory and light. When we try to think of the riches of Christ before his incarnation, we run out of words. We press language to its limits to grasp how rich Christ was. And yet, what did he do? He didn't cling to it. Yet, for our sake, he became poor. This looks, I believe, to the entire ministry of Jesus, from his being sent by the Father to his coming and living on this earth and being despised and rejected by his very own creation. And though he lived a perfect life, he went to the cross. As Paul says in Philippians 2, being found in the form of a man, he humbled himself and became a servant. And then he took on that humility and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now we know Jesus in his earthly life when he began his teaching was, was physically poor, right? He said the, son of man, the uh, birds have nests and foxes have holes, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. His ministry was supported by the generosity of others. Not only that, Jesus was despised and rejected by those he came to save, by those whom he created. Jesus became completely poor for us. And more than that, when he was on the cross, he opened himself up fully to the wrath of God so that he would cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus became utterly poor in a way that we will never have to experience on the cross. And why did he do it? For us, for our sake, in our place. But more than that, that's not the motivation that Paul's quite pointing us to in this passage. Not just that it was in our place, but he's looking at the result of that. What was the result of Christ's poverty? 
Look with me in verse 9. He, he says that for your sake he became poor. Why? So that by his poverty, by his coming, by his incarnation, by his life, by his death on the cross, we might become rich. Do you, do you see that? So that acknowledges that spiritually we are bankrupt apart from Christ. Yet Christ came so that we can become rich. We enjoy all of the riches of Christ. Part of that riches is seen in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, where Paul speaks of this exchange in another place. Christ's riches and taking our poverty so that we can have riches in there. He says that God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin in your place so that you might become the righteousness of God. That's the riches that we get. We get the poverty of our sin and our brokenness and judgment and wrath, and we get the righteousness of God so that in riches we can approach the throne of grace, not in rags to be judged, but in robes of righteousness and glory so that in our time of need we can find mercy. We get the riches of Christ and that we're no longer called enemies and rebels. We're called sons and daughters. We receive riches in Christ that we can never lose. We receive a treasure in heaven that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit, that we will receive an inheritance of all eternity. We will receive eternity in the presence of Jesus himself. But as we think about this fueling our generosity, the thing to notice is that Jesus' generosity was not coerced, but it was compelled by love. And the same ought to be true for us. Our generosity is not by coercion and twisting an arm, but by being compelled by the love of Christ for us. We look at his becoming poor so that we can become rich, and out of love for that we say, what can I give? Take this. Use it. As I think of those who, over history, have chosen to take the riches of Christ and spend and be spent for the sake of the gospel, I'm reminded of Jim Elliott. Perhaps you've heard of him. He and his wife and a group of friends became missionaries, and they went to Ecuador, and they worked among the Huarani people. These were people that were unreached, a tribe that was violent. They were unreached because of their violence, attacking outsiders, not just Westerners, but those who were not part of their tribe. They were a warring, violent tribe. So as a young married man with a new child, Jim Elliott and his friends went to, to try and reach these people, and they began making contact with them. And they had what they thought was good contact with them. In fact, they were being deceived. And so one day, Jim and four of his friends, on January 8th, 1956, went to share the gospel with these. And there in a river in Ecuador, they were murdered by those they were trying to reach, killed with spears. And we might look at that and say, what a waste. But it was no waste. You see, Jim, earlier, when he was in college in his journal, had written this line, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. 
You see, Jim Elliot had gained that which he couldn't lose. He had gained eternal life with Christ and riches in heaven through Christ's poverty. And just as Jesus' sacrifice was no waste, his sacrifice was no waste. Instead, he was fueled by the love of Jesus to go and give all he had for the sake of the gospel. And his wife and his children lived their lives to make Jesus known. And they got to see Christ come among this tribe. They saw salvation work because of the sacrifice of Jim and his four friends. You see, he realized that his wealth, his possessions, he could have had a comfortable career preaching and being a professor in the United States. But he said, I'm going to give all of that so that these people can have the riches of Christ. Because I can't keep all of that. And though he lost it all, he gained what he couldn't lose because he already had Christ. You, you see, when we come to Jesus, we are rich in him with a wealth that we can never lose. Because look, our health, we can lose it. Our homes, we can lose them. Our 401ks and our bank accounts and our jobs, we, we can lose them. Our clothes and our shoes and our cars and our cabins and our boats and our books and our cookware or whatever else it is that we have and we cling to, we can lose those things. But see, when we realize that we are rich in Jesus, we can also gladly give those things for the sake of the gospel. Because as Paul says in Ephesians 2, 2, chapter 7, that in the coming ages, God is going to show us the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. We will spend eternity having a waterfall of God's riches poured over us in his kindness and grace in Christ Jesus. So what's not worth sacrificing for that? Because all the things we cling to here will be just pocket lint at best compared to that. Those are the riches that we have so that we can use the material riches we have for the sake of the gospel. You see, Jesus has made us spiritually rich in him so that we can be free to be generous with our material possessions, especially our money, which is what Paul's getting at here, and this for our eternal good. So we see finally in verses 10 through 15, we see the benefit of generosity. Or to put that in a motivational term, we give because it's good for us. You see, as we look to Jesus, our desires change, and we desire to live like Jesus as a loving response to his grace. And when we give, we are living like Jesus. Notice what Paul says in verse 10, he says, So in this matter, that's the matter of the giving and generosity of the Corinthians, I give my judgment. This benefits you. You see that there is spiritual good and benefit from our generosity. Far from costing us in a way that would be to our long-term loss, there is spiritual benefit. Just so quickly, a few that I think we see from this passage. One spiritual benefit of our generosity is that it follows Jesus' example, right? That's verse 9. Another spiritual benefit of our generosity is that it gives us the blessing of giving. You see, we read in Acts that our Lord said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. 
And he wasn't joking when he said that. Like, he meant it. There's a blessing that we receive when we're generous that we're not going to receive otherwise. So it benefits us spiritually to give. Then two things that tie together. The spiritual benefit of giving is that it loosens our grip on this world and this world's grip on us. And it stores up for us treasures in heaven. So, so, so we see this in, in verses 11 and 12 where Paul says, So if the readiness is there, then, then, then do well and, and finish it. Because that way your desire could be matched by your doing. For if the readiness is there, is it acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have? What, what that's pointing us to is the generosity is based on our desire and then on what we actually have to give. And we'll get into that a little more next week. And in other words, generosity is not a matter of dollars and percentages, but it's a matter of our heart. It's a matter of our desire to give. So that means we, we actually have to be honest of taking account of what we have. We have to actually sit down and say, well, what do I have? How much do I have? And then what does it mean to be generous from that? Because that's what we're judged on, by what we have, not what we don't have. That's how God judges our generosity. If it's sacrificial, if it's true giving from the heart. One way to do that, by the way, is just make a budget. Like, if you don't have a budget, that's just good practice, right? Have a budget, so know what you have, so you know what you can give. Generosity also benefits us spiritually because it increases our trust in God to supply our needs here and now. Right? This is what Paul says in verses 13 and, and 15 there, where he says, Listen, um, so, so it's not that I want you to be burdened and others be eased, but we're the body of Christ here. We're a fellowship together, and so there are going to be times where your brother or sister doesn't have, but you do. And so the way you love them like family is you help meet their needs. Right? There might be a time where someone in your life group has a serious financial need, and guess what? God's given you the opportunity to meet it. And so, and so you do, and that's not so that you can be burdened, but you're a family, so sometime maybe you're going to have a need, and they're going to have the means, and, and they'll meet it. But, but what that's saying is, when we give generously, we simply have to trust God. We have to trust God that, that even if I give of my money, He's going to make sure I can eat next week. Right? It's a heart that says, God, I'm going to trust you, to take care of me in my giving. So, so, see, the Lord gives to us what Paul is getting at here so that we can be generous. Right? That's, that's what it means to increase our trust in God to supply our needs. It means that he gives so that we can be generous. Or, or as Randy Alcorn, who's an author, who wrote this great book called The Treasure Principle, he says it like this. And it gets to this idea here that Paul's getting at in verses 13 through 15 of, of this fairness and this equity in giving. He says, God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. See that? So that's what Paul's saying here. God's not giving to you so that we can just prosper our standard of living and raise that, but so that we can raise our standard of giving so that we can give to those who have a need because we have the means. And then finally... Generosity is a spiritual benefit to us because it brings glory to God. Because it obeys him and shows that he is the better treasure. The riches that he gives us in Christ, that having him, 
spending eternity with him is better than all the stuff we have here or could gain here. So at the end of the day, we give because God in his grace moves us to become more like Jesus. And for you to give is to live like Jesus. And, and so today, the, the, the question for us, the call for us in responding to this world is to follow that path of generosity to true riches in Christ that Paul lays out. First, the call is to give ourselves to God. To, to come to Christ as our Savior, to look at the work that Jesus did for us in becoming poor so that by his poverty we can become rich, to look at his dying on the cross, to trust in his life, death, and resurrection for our salvation. Come to him. That'll cost us. It'll cost our pride. It'll cost our self-dependency and self-reliance. It'll cost us setting aside our ego. But in it we have great riches. So, so come to Christ and give yourself to God. Then give yourself to his people where there are eternal riches and joy. And then as we give ourselves to God and his people, allow his love to compel you. Allow the love of Christ to compel you to be generous to God's people. So, so give of what you have so that your hands can be open to receive more of Jesus. Ask him, ask him, give me the desire to give and give me the strength to follow through so I can get more of you in the process. And then pray to be a person who will be willing to, to spend and be spent for the sake of the gospel so that all of your life can be used in knowing Jesus and making him known to all people. Let's pray. Our Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for Christ first and foremost who gave himself, who because of his poverty, we can become rich. So, Father, may we live in the riches of Christ, and may the great, unshakable, unlosable riches of Christ cause us to live with open hands so we would use our lives for the glory of Christ and for our eternal joy. We love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name.